turning your Bibles with us this glad Lord's Day as we begin a brand new series, The Fearsome Foursome, uh, this morning. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 within God's Word. Matthew chapter 24. We'll be turning there very, very shortly. Story came out of the Korean War of when the soldiers in the Korean War would hire little boys to be housekeepers as they would uh, be camping there in that Korean conflict, the Korean War. And these soldiers that had hired a little Korean houseboy to do their chores were constantly, constantly teasing him and, and constantly pulling off pranks with this little Korean boy. Oh, they would, for instance, put a bucket of water on the top of a door, and when the, the Korean boy would open the door, he'd get doused with the water. They would nail his shoes to the floor of the cabin, so that when he'd get up and put his shoes on in the morning, of course, they're nailed to the floor, and they would laugh and laugh. They would put Vaseline or something sticky on the knobs of the stove. Finally, the, the, the soldiers, uh, they, they said, that the army guys, we got to stop doing this. This isn't right. We're, 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 we're teasing him too much. We're pulling off too many pranks. And so they sat the little Korean houseboy down and said, we're so sorry. We're not going to do this any longer. And, and, and the little Korean houseboy said, you mean no more bucket of water on door? You mean no more nail shoeies to the floor? You mean no more sticky stuff on oven knobs? They said, that's right. We're not going to tease you any longer. And the Korean boy looked him in the eye and said, okay, no more spitting in soup either. Suffering. If you've ever read this glorious book from cover to cover, you find that the people of God that have followed their God, have sincerely followed Jesus Christ, down through the centuries they have suffered for their faith. The Bible gives a story, in fact, in Daniel chapter 3. I just shared it not long ago with our young adult ministry of three Hebrew young men, three Jewish teenagers that were brought with all of the who's who of Babylon. All the cream of the crop, all the aristocracy, all the, the best and the brightest, the most popular people were gathered by King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 3 in the plain of Dura, and there Nebuchadnezzar had erected a 90-foot golden statue. And the order went out, when you hear the music play, bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue, his image, his God. If you don't, you'll be thrown into the, the fiery furnace. And these three young men, they had a choice. Are we going to bow with everybody else? Or are we going to burn? Bow or burn? We'll come back to that narrative a little bit later on. Let's come up to present day. Fox News this morning just announced once again how ISIS, this Muslim terrorist organization that's spreading like a, a cancer, and there's no doubt about it, they are a Muslim terrorist organization. Uh, that is spreading like a cancer across the Middle East and hot spots around the world. They have just once again beheaded a special class of people who? Christians who would not renounce their faith. It's not just, it's not just in the Middle East. China is experiencing, the Christians are experiencing more persecution in China than what we have seen since Mao Zedong a generation ago. 
Persecution is sweeping the globe. Christians are suffering in ways they have never suffered in ages before in our generation. Recently in the Sudan, it was just a year ago that Dr. Mariam Ibrahim, 27-year-old mother and wife, pregnant with a child, was held by Muslims in Sudan and put on trial for her faith. And she was told by the prosecutor, if you do not renounce your Christianity, if you do not renounce your faith, you will be lashed 100 times with a whip and you will be hanged to death. They kept her in prison. They kept shackles on her wrists. She even gave birth to a baby, her second child, while she was in prison because she refused to renounce her faith. As the prosecutor again continued to drill her before she was to be lashed with the whip, she said this, and I quote, I am a Christian, and I will remain a Christian. The public outcry, if you remember, last year May was so huge around the world that these Islamic political leaders in the Sudan finally let her free without the 100 lashes of the whip and without hanging her and allowed her to migrate here to the United States. When she was interviewed on Fox News, she said, it's just not me, but there are Miriams around the world being persecuted, suffering for their faith. Do you realize that when you study the statistics that Christianity is facing persecution, suffering, martyrdom more now? In fact, more martyrdom has been suffered by Christians during the last 100 years than all of the centuries combined since Jesus Christ. We are seeing the fulfillment in our generation of what Jesus predicted and prophesied in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Would you turn to that passage, please? Look on the screen as well. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Can you repeat that with me? Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. Now listen to this. The love of most will grow cold. We're talking about Christians. The pressure will get so great to cop out, to compromise, to cave in. The love of many Christians will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end shall come. I want to warn you this morning, this is a message to mature audiences. This is a message for the spiritually mature, not for namby-pamby Christians that think that Jesus is a McDonald's, Ronald the McDonald clown, handing out Happy Meals in life all the time. I want you to know that this cuts across the grain of popular preaching today. What I'm about to preach is not popular. What I'm about to preach, George Barnard, the church growth consultant, said that only 10% of the pastors are now preaching behind their pulpits. Pastors are so concerned about numbers, so concerned about tithing, so concerned about the size of their churches, that they have chosen not to preach certain portions of the Bible today. This is not going to be a feel-good message. This is a message that's a challenge. This is a message that will challenge you to grow up and be what Jesus has called you to be. To grow up and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus 
and no turning back. Usually, on this kind of a Sunday when we have a purity ring ceremony, I preach a message that's entirely dedicated to the young people. This morning I preach a message for all. But I want you to recognize that though persecution, suffering, and martyrdom is being experienced around the world, and though martyrdom has not yet come to these shores, the United States of America, our young people, our young adults are suffering. The young generation of Christians today is coming under an unbelievable pressure as never before to compromise their faith in Jesus Christ, to be squeezed into the world's mold. But my Bible and your Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, I want to talk about compromise. I'm convinced that the enemy of your soul and my soul, the enemy of our young people's soul, is bringing seven deceptions, seven temptations, seven pressures to bear upon our young Christians today as never before, and your life and my life as well. This morning I preach a message to you entitled, No Turning Back. No turning back. Would you fill out the study guide as you follow along with me this morning? Fill it out. Fill in the blank if you would. Number one, compromising pressure. Number one, seven pressures being brought to bear on the church, on Christians today to compromise. Pressure number one, turn back from believing the Bible is the Word of God. My Bible, your Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. What will they do? They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Countless students today are taught in the public school classroom. They're taught in public universities and colleges that the Bible is not God's Word. It's a book full of fables, legends, myths. It's the stuff of kids' bedtime stories. If the enemy can destroy our faith in the Bible being the Word of God, he can destroy the very foundation of Christianity and the very ammunition that we have to fight deception, to fight compromise. This age-old warfare against the Word of God is nothing new. Genesis chapter 3 tells us in verse 1, when the serpent came to Eve, she said, he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? Has God really said? The number one target of the enemy is, is to destroy the truth of God's word. He questioned it from the very beginning. He wants us to question the veracity, the truthfulness of God's Word even today. And as never before, there's an attack upon the Holy Word of God. If the enemy can get you to doubt the Word of God, any portion of it, we end up doubting the whole of it. For example, I've asked this many times, true or false, true or false, true or false, the Bible contains the Word of God. Notice the division in the house. Notice the division in the house. True or false, the Bible contains the Word of God. False, the Bible is the Word of God. Countless churches today, in fact, we are now in the minority. We are in the minority. Most Christian churches today teach that the Bible 
contains the Word of God. Not all of the Bible is 100% the Word of God. If you're checking us out here at Lakeside Assembly of God, I want to guarantee and confirm with you, we as a church, this pulpit preaches and teaches, 100% the Bible is the Word of God. Not just a slice of it, the whole loaf. Cover to cover. This book... The Bible is the Word of God. There's a multiple, multiple proofs for understanding and knowing that the Bible is the Word of God. Prophetic fulfillment, advanced scientific and medical health care knowledge revealed in the Bible thousands of years before its discovery, the circulation, the impact of the Bible, the unity of the Bible, Think of it. The Bible continues to be the best seller of all time. Every year, it continues to be the best seller. Every year, over a billion people read the Bible. Why? Because of its transforming impact upon lives. It changes people. It changes the way we think. Vince Lombardi, that great football coach, was frustrated with his team because they were losing. At halftime, he came in the locker room. He picked up that inflatable pigskin. He picked it up and he shook it in front of those football players. And he said, men, this is a football. And we're going to get back to basics. This is a football. Church... Let's get back to basics. This is a Bible. The holy, immutable, inspired, indestructible, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Believe it. Receive it. Study it. Memorize it. Be immersed by it. Hallelujah. Release it. Parent, young person, it is the tool that God has given you to fight every controversy that is sweeping America right now. It is the instrument of warfare that God has given you to answer every question that you might have about any controversial issue or problem in life. This book uh, is a bestseller because it has answers. It tells you and I where we came from. It tells us why we're here, and it lets us know where we're going. There is no doubt whatsoever. It answers the greatest questions of life. Study it. Be ruled by it. Be immersed by it. And watch what God will do in your life. Don't turn your back upon the veracity and the authoritative power of God's word like Jesus in his wilderness temptation when the enemy tempts you over sin over impurity over the controversial issues that are rocking and dividing our nation and causing you to doubt and causing you to wonder if it's really true I want you to strike back as Jesus did what did Jesus do when he was tempted he didn't curse the devil he said it is written it is written. It is written. He quoted the holy word of God. Because in God's word, there is power. Hallelujah. I will not turn back on God's word as being the holy inspired word of God. Write it down. Compromising pressure number two. Turn back from believing God is our creator. Turn back from believing that God is our creator. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. In 1925, many of you remember the Scopes trial. The Scopes monkey trial. That 1925 legal trial that took the attention of the entire nation upheld the constitutional law in 1925 that it was illegal, illegal to teach evolution whatsoever in the public school system. But yet, by 1987, the Supreme Court ruled what? 1987, the Supreme Court ruled that teaching creationism 
in the same setting as evolution was unconstitutional. How quickly times have changed. Just Wednesday night I revealed four major proofs against evolution. Number one, evolution is not science. Evolution is philosophy. Look up the definition of, of science. Look up Webster's definition. It's impossible for evolution to fit the definition of science whatsoever. Science is something that you can observe. Evolution has never, ever been witnessed. Number two, the second law of thermodynamics. When you woke up this morning, did you, when you looked in the mirror, did you all of a sudden discover, praise the Lord, I'm one day younger. I'm just getting younger every day. Do you find your kid's bedroom getting cleaner every day? That big word, the second law of thermodynamics, basically declares that everything in the universe is running downhill. Everything's deteriorating. Everything moves from order to randomness. Not from simple to complex. It has never been observed that anything has ever improved itself whatsoever. Gone from a single living cell to a complex human being. It is never, the processes of evolution have never been observed. How about mathematical science? It's opposed. It's opposed to the concept of evolution. Mathematical science, the odds, the odds against the chance formation of one living cell. Not in two and a half billion years. Let's give the evolutionists double the time. Five billion years is less than one chance out of ten of the 40,000th power, or one with 40,000 zeros. How do you translate one with 40,000 zeros? Uh, look at it, if you would. One with 40,000 zeros behind it, 10 to the 40th thousandth uh, is impossibility. Evolution, according to the laws of mathematical science, the laws of probability is a sheer impossibility. Lastly, the fossil record. When we dig underground, what do we find? The leading expert on evolution, listen to what he said. Why then is not every geological formation, every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. I have asked myself whether I may not have devoted my life to a fantasy. I am ready to cry with vexation at my blindness and presumption. Who said that? Charles Darwin. The fossil record itself lets us know that the missing link is still missing. It's not full of all kinds of transitional forms. Five words completely refute the theory of evolution. Five words completely zero it out. In the beginning, God created. Now, if you want to believe that billions of years ago, all of a sudden, by chance, by a freak of nature, inanimate particles decided to come together to form uh, the first living molecule, and then those living molecules decided by chance to come together to form the first one-celled creature. And that amoeba decided to turn into a fish. And that fish decided to turn into a frog. And that frog one day decided to, to, to get out of the slime, to get out of the pond and crawl up a tree and become a squirrel eating nuts and got tired of the nuts and started eating bananas as a monkey. And then the monkey one day decided to crawl down off the tree and walk upright like you and I and be I'll be my monkey's uncle. If you want to believe that, hey, I salute you. You got more faith than I've got. No, in the beginning, God created. Evolution's not science. I'm not trying to turn this into a science class this morning. I want to make a point. Evolution is an anti-God philosophy that you will see at the root of most of the ills affecting America today. That along with trying to destroy the veracity of God's Word as absolute truth, if evolution is correct, then there is no God. 
There are no absolutes, right and wrong. Truth is in the eyes of the beholder. What you feel good about is moral. What you feel bad about is immoral. It's no wonder that moral relativism is sweeping our land. Wrong is becoming right, and right is becoming wrong. Because man is not special. Because man is not the unique creation of God. Man, life, is not sacred. In a moment, you'll see how that translates into something. Life is not special. It's not sacred. Life is nothing more than the freak of nature, an accident. We don't know exactly where we came from. We don't know why we're here. We have no meaning, no purpose. And in the end, we die like a dog, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. No hope. I'm here to tell you that there's hope this morning. The devil says that you're a nobody. But God says you're a somebody. Hallelujah. My Bible says that you have been created in the image of God, that you're special, that God knew you before the worlds were even crafted, fashioned, and created. And God sought you. God made you. God created you to know him and for you to walk in fellowship with the Lord. My Bible says that from cover to cover, God's great plan is redemption, to restore you to himself. And he's done this through sending Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. The devil says through evolution, you're a nobody. But my Jesus through his cross says, you're a somebody. And I'm coming back for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Number three. Number three. Write it down. Number three, if you would, compromise pressure. Number three, turn back, turn back from protecting the unborn. Since 1973, there's been a 5,000% increase in abortions. As never before, there is a pressure upon our young people and our young adults to sacrifice the unborn at the altar of convenience because it's a woman's right to choose. Over 40 million preborn babies have been killed in America. The Nazi Holocaust pales in comparison from what God has seen in these United States of America. That's more than 20 times all the men and women that have been killed in our wars, that have been fought in American history. Abortion has become an unimaginable, hellish holocaust. It's more than a national shame. It's murder. It's a grievous sin before God. The Bible says in Psalms 106, they even sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed. And the land was polluted with what? I declare that America is polluted with the blood of the unborn that have been sacrificed largely at the altars of convenience in these United States of America. I know this is not a popular message, but it's truth. One abortion doctor put it this way, that short of finding oil, discovering oil on your property, the best way to make quick money is to buy a parcel of land and set up an abortion clinic. It's no wonder we have to preach the land is polluted with blood. Jesus said in Matthew 18.10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father. Your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Keep speaking out, Lakeside. Keep praying. Get involved. Don't vote with your pocketbook. Vote for the precepts and the principles of God's Word. Vote for life 
in the name of Jesus. I've never been more proud of you as a church than as, as you have supported financially ministries like uh, uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center, or Abigail Ministries. I've never been more proud of you as a church than when you have put on big give baby showers for unwed mothers who have determined to keep their children and not abort them. Keep on keeping on, Lake Side. Don't turn your back on this issue. Hold fast to truth. Teach it. Preach it. Proclaim it. Don't worry what other people say. Stand up for God's principles. Stand up for the unborn. Stand up for life. And watch how God will lead us and God will protect us. Compromise pressure number four. Turn back from abstaining from abusing drugs and drunkenness. We are the first generation in America to openly, openly merchandise marijuana. And it's happening on state after state after state, this gateway drug to all other drug abuse. The physiological consequences of drug abuse are numerous. Study it, research it. Cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, lung disease, and some of these effects may occur after just one use. One use, just one trip. Did you realize that there's a connection between witchcraft, witchcraft and drug addiction? The Greek word for sorcery or witchcraft in the Bible, the Greek word is pharmakeia. We get our word what? Pharmacy from it. Satan uses drug abuse as a way to tear down nations, to tear down families, to tear down lives. I have had parents come to me weeping, sobbing, how a son or daughter's drug addiction has destroyed in their home and robbed the joy of the Lord from their habitation. What's the number one drug problem in America today? What's the number one drug problem? The number one drug problem in America today is alcohol. Do not misunderstand. 50% of all trips to the emergency room, 50% of all driving fatalities, 50% of all domestic violence cases, 50% of all assaults, 50% of all homicides are somehow alcohol-related. The average alcoholic dies 26 years earlier than he or she would otherwise. You see, America is plagued by a false sense of freedom. America has the misunderstanding real freedom is doing what you want to do. No, no, no. Real freedom, real freedom is doing what you ought to do. God is not a killjoy. Whether it's drug abuse, alcohol, or sexual impurity, God is not out to steal fun, joy, and happiness from our lives. God is out to keep us healthy. God wants wholeness. God wants joy for his people, for their marriages, and for their families. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, Don't you know that your bodies, your physical bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. This body that you're walking around is, Christian, you don't own it. Who owns it? God does. How did he purchase your body? How did he purchase your person? You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You were bought. You were purchased. You were redeemed, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. What should your focus be? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. There's no middle ground in this. You're either mastered by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is Lord of all, or not at all, or you're mastered by something else. 
It's not God's will for you to be mastered by drink, by booze, by alcohol. It's not God's will for you to be mastered by uh, uh, drug abuse, whether it's prescription drugs or illegal drugs. God wants happiness and wholeness for your life. Again, He's not a killjoy. I might sound old-fashioned, but determine, determine to be holy as He is holy. Determined to come out from among them and be separate. It's the healthy way. It's the holy way. It's the only way to please God. Determined to declare, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to cop out or cave in. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a born-again, blood-bought, Bible-believing, demon-fighting soldier of the cross. And I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to follow Him. I'm not going to turn back on my Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. No turning back. No turning back. God has called you to a walk. God has sought you out from his cross. God has claimed you through the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Determined to live for him. Determined to be sold out and radical for him. Despite the pressure of friends, despite the pressure of going to a party, despite the the pressure of a certain activity that you know is going to open the door. My wife and I have determined to be teetotalers. By being a teetotaler, by not being a drinker, by never ever drinking alcoholic beverages, we will never have a problem with alcoholism, drunk driving, and all the rest of the ills that come with it. We as a church and a church membership have determined to be alcohol-free as a church because God has called us to avoid the very appearance of evil. And I, I, I know this is not a popular message. I know I'm not getting a lot of loud amens with this. But hear me in this. God has called us To be lights in darkness. The Bible says ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you might show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen, amen, amen. No turning back. No turning back. But there's other pressures that are coming upon the young today. In fact, not the young, but seasoned saints as well. Compromise pressure number five, turn back from sexual purity. A hermit, the story goes, a hermit had raised a boy in the remote, remote forest. That young lad growing up, the only person he ever knew was that old hermit. One day on that boy's birthday, he decided to bring him to the village and to see other people. As the boy came to the village, he was very, very curious about the girls walking around and was fascinated by these feminine creatures. And he asked the old hermit, he said, Father, as he called him, what are those? The old hermit looked puzzled and said, those are geese. After the long day at the village, the hermit said, Son, I want to bless you on your birthday with anything that you would like. What, what, how, could, how could your father bless you on your birthday and give you a happy birthday? The boy looked at him without any hesitation. I want some geese. There's probably no other pressure among the young and the old that is afflicting and affecting the church like sexual temptation. Christian youth specialists who deal with student ministries say that sexual temptation is the number one major hindrance for young people spiritually today. Young men and women that want to grow in God. Our culture, Hollywood, have successfully made virginity Reserving yourself for the marriage bed, virginity out to be something weird. That's why they make movies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin. 
That's why just a few months ago, a Christian teenage girl who wore a t-shirt to school that said, Virginity Rocks. And on the backside said, I'm reserving myself for my husband for marriage one day. She was banned from high school. There is a pressure that is coming on our young people upon a young Christian generation as never before. I want you to know, young men and women, that it's not just the Bible, but research gives us reasons to wait for marriage. I want to give you, I want to give you five powerful reasons real quickly here. You might want to write these down. Five powerful reasons real quick here. And finally, a sixth reason why to wait. Why wait? Because premarital sex tends to break up couples. The foundation for any solid relationship is friendship, companionship, bonding. If sexual gratification predominates a relationship, it is the issue that will break up a relationship more than bond a relationship. Number two, why wait? Because most, even today, don't want to marry someone who has already had sexual intercourse. Even today. Now, I love used cars. I've only bought used cars all my life. But when it came to marrying a woman, my wife, I wanted a brand new car. There is nothing more joyful than to wait until the honeymoon suite. The honeymoon suite is a whole lot better than the back seat of a car or the urgency down in a basement wondering if you're going to be caught or some other circumstance or place. Why wait? Because persons who have engaged in premarital sex are more likely, more likely to have extramarital affairs when they're married. Why wait? Because premarital sex can fool you into marrying the wrong person. Sexual relations, like no other issue in life, cements you, bonds you. It combines your, your intellectual, your emotional, your physical, you know, your, your spiritual energies. The Bible's clear on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It is the all of a person bonding with another person. And it can fool you, deceive you into marrying the wrong person. Why wait? Because premarital sex can spoil relations in your marriage. It can give you an unhappy marriage and even open the door to divorce. What am I talking about? Most of you have had high school psychology. Most of you uh, remember hearing in high school psychology about Pavlov's dog. Pavlov's dog. Pavlov would take a piece of raw meat, put it in front of the dog. The dog would salivate, and he'd ring a bell. He did that for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, he didn't hold the meat in front of the dog. What did he do? He just rang the bell. And what did the dog do? It drooled. That's right. If, if, you're involving yourself in fornication, premarital sex, sex outside of marriage. What's going to happen when in marriage you perform the same activity? You're going to be ringing the bell. And associated with sexual relations in marriage will come the guilt from the past, comparisons between your present mate and the one from the past, memories from the past. Why spoil what God has called holy with just moments of pleasure? Why spoil a lifelong relationship with your husband or wife? The last reason, number six, is greater than any other reasons. This reason comes from God. God's command with premarital sex is what? Not no, but wait. 
1 Thessalonians 4.3, God wants you to be holy and pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin so that each of you will marry in holiness and honor. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and clean if anyone refuses to live by these rules. He's not disobeying the rules of men. You're not disobeying your pastor. If you refuse, if you turn back, who are you refusing? God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let your choice be firm. Take a stand and declare, I will not turn back on God's command to flee sexual temptation, to flee sexual sin. I will reserve myself for my husband, my wife, on that blessed day of matrimony. Number six, compromise pressure. Number six, turn back, turn back from believing homosexuality is sin. When I was a teenager, I thought the word gay meant happy. The word gay is a marketing genius. And how the homosexual community has thought up the word gay. It is the genius of marketing. There is a pressure upon our young men and women and our young generation of Christians to be accepting of this behavior. They are so filled with fear today that they're going to be labeled as religious, hypocritical, intolerant, self-righteous, prejudicial bigots. And so church after church, Christian after Christian is caving in and compromising to this pressure to conform to a political correctness dreamed up and spawned by the laboratories of hell. I am not preaching against homosexual men or, or lesbian women, bisexual or transgender people whatsoever. I am separating the behavior from the person. I am addressing the sin. And the sin is called sin by an almighty God throughout his word from cover to cover, both Old Testament and, and New Testament. Let there be no doubt of this. What are gay rights? There are none. There are none. There are individual civil rights that all of us are granted as American citizens, and they apply to every citizen of these United States of America. Gay legislation is an attempt to make and to grant homosexuals minority status like a, a, a minority racial group. But pastor, don't you understand? Gays are born gay. Hey, next time somebody tries to sell you that bill of goods, gays are born gay or there's a gay gene out there, it, it, it points to ignorance. It points to the lack of, of research. I want you to point out the many studies that have been transacted on identical, identical twins. Where one of the identical twins, again, they both had the identical genetic uh, makeup, correct? Identical twins have identical genetic makeup. And what has happened time and time again in identical twin studies? One of the twins has turned out to be heterosexual. The other twin, when it has turned out to be gay, it has been proven there is no gay gene. It's not due to nature, it's due to nurture. It's not due to physiological genetic predisposition, it's due to environment and how that child has been raised and how that child has chosen as well. The gay gene is not out there. It has so many holes in it, it whistles when it walks. Let there be no misunderstanding. No matter how Hollywood tries to sell it, TV shows like Glee try to, to manifest it. Uh, uh, no matter how the PC political correct crowd try to make it an appealing to an American audience, despite how, how nice 
gay people are, and so many are. It doesn't change the fact that, that God views homosexuality as sin. Lesbianism is sin. Transgender behavior is sin. Bisexuality is sin. God calls it an abomination, a perversion. He calls it, S-I-N, sin. But pastor, I've heard that the Bible is silent on the subject. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Romans 1 26. Because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know how any clearer the Bible can put it. Thursday, I was listening to a radio talk show as I was out on a pastoral call. And the caller said, I am a Christian. But I do not believe homosexuality is a sin because Jesus never addressed it. I do not believe homosexuality is a sin because it's only found uh, condemned in the Old Testament. And we're under the New Covenant. Where I've already showed you how Paul addressed it over and over again. Did Jesus address it? Look at Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them what? male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to who? His wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. When then, so then they are no longer twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together. What has God joined together? Male and female as husband and wife. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. That's the original intention. That's at the heart of God. That's the only arrangement that he can bless. And then what does Jesus say? Let not man put asunder. The homosexual agenda, the LGBT agenda, puts asunder what God has originally planned. Do not, do not, do not cave in compromise or cop out with this seduction, with this temptation, with this deception. Take your stand, young Christian. Take your stand, older believer. I will not turn my back on God's word, God's will, and God's way. Lastly, lastly, compromise pressure number seven, turn back from believing. There is only one way to God. How many of you remember right after 9-11, 9-11, Oprah Winfrey, she called for a prayer rally. And all the Christians around the, the, the country were saying, oh, isn't that wonderful? Oprah Winfrey's calling for a prayer rally in the baseball stadium there in New York City. Isn't that wonderful? What kind of prayer rally did she call for? She had Hindu clerics. She had Muslim clerics, she had Buddhist monks, and she had Christian ministers there and, and, and Catholic priests there. And she said, well, all pathways lead to God. They're all praying to the same God. Oh, no, they're not, Oprah. If you, think, if you think this is just a case of, of Oprah Winfrey, one church pastor just recently prayed this. It's on your screen. He prayed this in his Christian church. Lord, Yahweh, Allah, or by whatever name you are called, God, dear Jesus, help us. Let us be certain. Let Lakeside Assembly of God be confirmed. We do not share a generic God with other religions. Allah is not God. Krishna is not God. Buddha is not God. There's only one 
who was hung upon the cross for your sins. There is only one who shed his blood for your salvation. Only one rose from the dead, shouting glory. And only one is sat down by the right hand of the Father, before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Tell me his name. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We will not turn our back on you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's coming back. He's coming back. We're in the last days. We're a terminal generation. We're a last days generation. And we're coming under the pressure to bow. We are coming under the pressure to bend our knee and kowtow as never before to the world's whims, to the devil's seductions, and the devil's deception. Young men and women of this church, seasoned saints of Lakeside Assembly of God, as never before, take your stand. Take your stand. I like what Martin Luther said. When Martin Luther was brought before the high Catholic tribunal of his day, Martin Luther just wanted to reform the church and bring it back into alignment with the Word of God. They would not be reformed. And they looked at Martin Luther from the high Catholic tribunal and said, you either recant or you will suffer, you will be imprisoned, we will kill you. Martin Luther stood before that high tribunal and said, I will not, I shall not, I cannot, recant, here I stand. And he changed the church and we're here today because somebody stood up and said, I will not turn back. I will not turn back. Back to Daniel chapter 3. My Bible, in your Bible, says in Daniel chapter 3, those three Jewish teenagers, those three Hebrew young men, were told when you hear the music, fall down and prostrate yourself and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. If you don't, we'll throw you into the fiery furnace. The Bible says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and said, go ahead, play your band, play your rock music. We're not going to bow. You can go ahead and play your hip-hop, your rap. You can go ahead and play your, uh, uh, help me out here, uh, not disco. What's, what's, help me out here, edify the name of the West. His first name, Kanye West. Go ahead and play his song. Uh, do you hear his, his album title, Jesus? And one of the titles is, I Am a God. Go ahead and play your Kanye West. We're not going to bow. Our God, our God is able to deliver us, King, out of your hand and out of your fiery furnace. But even if he does not deliver us, we're not going to bow. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar got more angry than ever before. And he asked for the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than normal. He selected his green berets, his most elite troops, his strongest men to throw in Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. The Bible says that the furnace was so hot that these elite, strong soldiers were instantly killed by the heat from that furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king from a protected position, could see them walking around in the flames, unharmed, unburnt, even unbound, as the ropes that were binding them <laughs> had fallen off. And as King Nebuchadnezzar saw them walking around in the fiery furnace, unburned, unfettered, unbound, he said, I see one, I see two, 
I see three. Didn't we throw three men in the furnace? I see a fourth man that looks like the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a word. That's a word to some of you this morning. Some of you are going through the fire. And that's God's word to you this morning, that God's presence is, I'll tell you, his presence is not more real. His presence is the most real when you're walking through the fire. His presence is the most real when you're in the furnace, in the fiery trial. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always. Finally, they were having such a good time in the presence of Jesus in that fire. What did King Nebuchadnezzar have to do? What did he have to do? He said, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, please come out. Those three young men came out. Those three young men that refused to compromise. They refused to bow. Those three young men who, who would not turn back on, on the God's word, God's will, God's way. Those three young men, when they came out of the fire, the Bible says that they were not even scorched. The Bible says all the leaders came around them and even smelled their clothes. There was not even, there was not even the stench of smoke upon their persons. It was a miracle. God had kept them in the fire because they refused to turn back. Because they had said, no turning back. No turning back. I'm cutting short my message this morning. I had so much statistics and data. I think you've got the thrust here this morning, the emphasis. Amen. We've gone longer this morning because of the special things in this service. But how about it? Where are you at this morning? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Stand with me right now. Precious Jesus, the world behind me, the cross before me, what have you decided? Though none, though none go with us, what have you decided? Though the pressure comes on strong to bow, what have you decided? Though they invite you over and over and over to go to that place, that party, that situation that you know, you know is contrary to God's word, what have you decided? Though the pressure comes to bear on you from your family circle to accept an alternate lifestyle, to be able to embrace it, to give your approval for it, to approve homosexuality, to approve bisexuality, to prove a transgender behavior or lifestyle. I'm not talking about loving. We're called to love everybody and to win them for Jesus Christ. But we're not called to bless behavior that's ungodly and sinful. What will you do in that day when you're caught between two worlds and you've got to make a choice to follow the world or to follow Jesus? I want you to know you might, you might experience some suffering. Jesus said in this world you will you will face tribulation. You will experience tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. How about it? How will you decide? What will be your choice? Will you say, no, turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. How many here this morning with an upraised hand would say, Pastor, I rededicate my life this morning to Jesus Christ. I'm already a Christian. I'm already born again. Pastor, this morning I rededicate my purpose, my calling to Jesus Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. How many would lift up their hand and confess that? Amen. Lift it up high. Lift it up high if you mean it. If you don't mean it, then put it down. If you mean it this morning, if you've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I'd like to have every person age 12 to age 30. Research tells us that brains and personalities are formed, still being formed all the way up to age 30. 
I'd like everybody from age 12 to age 30 to meet me right down here in the front. If you've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Come, come right now. Praise team, come. I need your help. members there's a part for you to play these cannot make it alone I preach this kind of message to be able to reveal to you that there is pressure to compromise being brought to bear upon a young Christian generation as never before and we need your prayer support we need your faith <laughs> we need your encouragement moms and dads you need to be sitting down with your young people and openly discussing every one of the issues that pastors touched on you are the pastor of your home as never before we need your faith to stand up and say I have decided <laughs> no turning back <laughs> follow me as I'm following Jesus we're gonna sing it again this morning and as we continue to worship the Lord parents grandparents lakeside members amen if you know how to pray find a young person to come down and pray for right now come join us amen amen young people come up on the steps help come on up on the steps praise the lord uh.